You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A leaky API may have exposed Salesforce customers' data. TSMC reports a virus in its semiconductor plants. TCM Bank discloses a paycard application leak, ransomware in Hong Kong, the unbearable, irresistible urge to monetize data, notes on automotive cybersecurity, depending on whom you ask, the BitFi wallet was either hacked or not, and a new goodwill ambassador seeks to repair U.S.-Russian relations. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 6, 2018. Salesforce has warned customers that a leaky API may have inadvertently exposed their data. The widely used customer relations management software provider says it found the problem on July 18th. According to Salesforce's disclosure, the leak affected a subset of marketing cloud customers who used its Marketing Cloud Email Studio and Predictive Intelligence products. The source of the issue is thought to be, Salesforce says, a code change the company rolled out in the first week of July. There's been no evidence that the exposed data was illicitly obtained or maliciously used by any bad actors, but of course absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Sure, they say that about Bigfoot and remote viewing, but it's true nonetheless. In this case, affected customers would be well advised to take precautions, perhaps heightened awareness to the possibility that their Salesforce data might be used for social engineering. Late Friday, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, TSMC, shut down operations after it was hit by what's been vaguely characterized as a virus. More information is expected this week. TSMC is a major supplier of chips to Apple. The company did say it was not the victim of a hacker, which might indicate that this issue was either a glitch or the work of an insider. Again, more information is expected soon. Taiwan is often the subject of Chinese industrial espionage and other forms of cyber attack. The preliminary reports have aroused the usual suspicions of the usual suspects, but any attribution would be very premature. TCM Bank, which provides about 750 community banks in the U.S. with an option to offer bank-branded credit cards, disclosed that a misconfigured website exposed data on card applicants between March 2017 and July of this year. The information includes names, addresses, dates of birth, and social security numbers. 
A small number of Hong Kong healthcare IT systems have been infected with crypto ransomware. There's no ransom demand reported yet, so whether this is a serious criminal attempt or some casual side effect of some other activity is unknown. The Hood, who's apparently behind Grand Crab ransomware, is sore at On Labs. The South Korean cybersecurity company recently developed and made generally available a vaccine against his malware. This understandably cut into his profits, and well, he's upset. He's retaliated by sending bleeping computer an alleged zero day for an on product. With data drawing the attention of commercial, criminal, and intelligence services the way meat draws flies, the U.S. Census Bureau is working to secure its 2020 census, the first one to be fully digital, against data theft. The attraction of data and the pull toward the monetization of information would seem so strong as to be virtually irresistible. We heard a strong case for this made Friday at the Billington Automotive Cybersecurity Summit in Michael Chertoff's keynote address. The former Secretary of Homeland Security and present head of the Chertoff Group thinks that autonomous and connected cars, that is, the soon-to-arrive generation of vehicles, That are even more connected than the ones we drive today will collect enormous quantities of information that many will find irresistible. That is, many will find the prospect of monetizing such data irresistible. Chertoff pointed out early signs of insurers wishing for more data on how people are actually driving, and he warned that this, in some respects, legitimate interest could lead to unpleasant forms of surveillance and loss of privacy. That criminals too would be interested in monetizing that data. Goes without saying. Chertoff mentions Silicon Valley's recent realizations that not everything is ducky with response to the personal information the captains of digital industry currently sweep up, and he suggested that the automotive industry should consider and learn from the experience of Facebook. One wonders the extent to which Facebook itself has fully reflected on and learned from its own experience. Unless Facebook, as Talleyrand is supposed to have said of France's restored Bourbon monarchy, has forgotten nothing and learned nothing, there's an example of that pull in the social media giant's recently disclosed approach to banks. They'd like ways of gaining access to customer financial information through their platform, the better to provide goods, services, and an advertising demographic that would be susceptible to rifle-shot marketing. The banks are said in the Wall Street Journal's account to be leery of the approach, as well they might be. Another keynote address at the Billington summit might give social media pause. Senator Gary Peters, Democrat of Michigan, in an aside during his discussion of coming legislation that would provide a more permissive, more innovation-friendly suite of automotive regulations, observed that it might be time to consider treating some IT firms as utilities. Particularly those social media platforms that enjoyed quasi-monopolistic market share. Back on July 24th, John McAfee, cybersecurity pioneer, cultural gadfly, and sometime candidate for the Libertarian Party's nomination for the U.S. presidency, tweeted the following about an absolutely secure cryptocurrency wallet he was involved with: quote, "For all you naysayers who claim that nothing is unhackable." And who don't believe that my BitFi wallet is truly the world's first unhackable device? A $100,000 bounty goes to anyone who can hack it. End quote. He added a version of the traditional poker table smack talk, money talks, baloney walks, which we balderize because we're a family show. BitFi antied up a quarter million of its own to sweeten the pot. 
Anywho, about a week later, it was reported that some guys said, yeah, they hacked it, and there's now a dispute over whether BitFi was or was not successfully hacked. CNET describes the hackers as led by a self-described IT geek in the Netherlands who uses the handle at OversoftNL. On Wednesday, he tweeted that he and his chums at CyberGibbons, that's Andrew Tierney of Pentest Partners, and at G. Suberland, that's Graham Sutherland, had popped open a BitFi, which they described as a stripped-down Android phone, and they got root access to it. So they wanted to claim the pot, but Mr. McAfee is having none of it because going root doesn't count. We quote, The press claiming the BitFi wallet has been hacked. Utter nonsense. The wallet is hacked when someone gets the coins. No one got any coins. Gaining root access in an attempt to get the coins is not a hack. It's a failed attempt. All these alleged hacks did not get the coins. Quote. For it to be a hack in the relevant sense, the hackers needed to get all the coins, which they didn't. Team Oversoft NL, for its part, isn't buying that either, and have denounced the whole bounty as a sham, because if getting root access doesn't count as a hack, what does? We're not sure who adjudicates such things, but we're pretty sure some member of the plaintiff's bar has a few ideas. Finally, in news that will come as a relief to all peace-loving peoples, the BBC reports that Russia's foreign ministry has announced the appointment of Steven Seagal as an unpaid goodwill ambassador to the United States. In the capacity, Mr. Seagal, who was granted some form of Russian citizenship in 2016, will work to reduce bilateral tensions between Moscow and Washington that have seen so much play in cyberspace of late. The CyberWire's political science desk, which has long been an admirer of Mr. Seagal, especially his signature role as the Glimmer Man, thinks this appointment a better one than Mr. Dennis Rodman's former association with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. We await news of an appropriate response from the U.S. State Department. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. 
That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks. He also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Rick, welcome back. Um, I had a term come across my desk recently that uh, I wasn't familiar with. It was super forecasting, and I thought this was something that I could check in with you on. Uh, bring me up to date here. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about uh, risk analysis or risk assessment. And I picked up super forecasting because of a book I read um, a couple of years ago. It's called Super Forecasting, The Art and Science of Prediction by Philip Tetlock and Dan Gardner. Okay, and, and I love the, these guys have been writing about forecasters of things. Okay, and, and how does that apply? It applies to the intelligence community. It applies to business assessing risk and all that. And the reason Dr. Tetlock got interested in this back in the early 2000s was that you know he's watching CNN and CNN rolled out a pundit uh, to talk about some issue, and, uh, and they rolled him out because he got something right once in his career. But he's been wrong ever since. Okay, every time he's predicted something after that, it's been wrong, right? So, Dr. Tedlock gets angry at this. I says, "I wonder if we can measure this. How come we don't keep score for you know pundits who forecast things?" So, he brings in three groups: an intelligence community, uh, the academic community, and a group he called the soccer moms. Now, they weren't really soccer moms; they were uh, you know older people that had time to solve problems. Uh, and he gave them 500 really hard problems to forecast. Things like, it, will President Putin get assassinated in the next three years? What's the probability of that, right? And he graded him over five years. And who do you think wins this big contest? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say <laughs> soccer moms. Yeah, I think I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I buried the lead. <laughs> they did by forty percent. Okay, wow. I mean forty percent. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that that Dr. Tetlock talks about in his book, but. There's a couple of things I got out of that book that I wasn't doing in my own risk assessments, right? And the first one was you have to time bound your predictions. You just can't go to your board and say, you know, I think we might get hacked. Sure. Okay. That's going to happen. But if you change the question, it says, I think the probability of us being hacked in the next three years is, you know, 2%. That's a different problem. All right. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I learned from all this. And as I was going through that book and a couple of other books that have taken up the, the banner here. Uh, and those two books are Measuring and Managing Information Risk, A Fair Approach by Jack Freund and Jack Jones, mm -hmm. and uh, How to Measure Everything in Cybersecurity by Doug Hubbard and Richard Syerson. These guys have all gotten on the bandwagon with Dr. Tedlock about how to be more precise and how you assess risk, right? And so, and I, after reading all these things, I've realized that I have been doing this wrong for 25 years, okay? Mm -hmm. What, and most of us do it this way. We create these heat maps, these risk heat maps with, you know, down the uh, x-axis is how likely is something to happen. And on the y-axis is how impactful it's going to be. Right. All right. And we, we rate these risks that we some from anywhere from 10 to 150 things, things that could potentially go wrong in our uh, enterprises. Right. We, we rate them high, medium or low or red, yellow and green. And then we sort them by color. So the red uh, you know, drifts up and to the right and the green uh, sinks uh, down and to the left. That's why they're called heat maps. Uh, but if anybody in my leadership chain would have said, gee, Rick, how, why is this one red versus yellow? You know, I might have said something like, blah, 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 25 years experience. Trust me, give me money. Right. So um, and 
admittedly that has worked many of the times, but you know, at 25 years down my career, I'm thinking that there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. And it turns out there is, if you read these books, uh, you will find a couple of things, okay, that we need to be changing on how we think about risk in our own enterprise. Right. And the first one is risk is a measurement of uncertainty. Okay. And it is a high confidence probability that we can calculate. It doesn't have to be high, medium, and low. And it turns out that there's a ream of research that shows that qual qualitative heat maps, like the one I just described, is just bad science. Hmm. Right? And the reason it is is that your definition of what high probability is is different from what my definition of what high probability is, even if I tell you that high probability is between 90 and 100%. Your, your cognitive bias is going to do to what you think it is and, and don't go by what the rules are. So we need to throw that entire model out completely, right? And then the second one is that all risk measurements should be time-bound, okay? So we should be think, saying things like, what is the likelihood of a certain cyber event happening in the future, okay? So, so there's a difference then, okay? And you would say things like, what is the probability that your organization will experience a material breach in the next three years. That's the kind of question we should be asking ourselves. And instead of the word likelihood, you use the precise mathematical term probability. Now, don't get freaked out on me, okay? I'm not going to try to explain probability and stats this morning, okay? That's good. Because <laughs> I won't be able to, right? <laughs> all right? But at least it's a more precise term, right? And so instead of saying a cyber event is going to happen in the future, you say material breach. And material is important because not all breaches are that big of a deal, right? If some bad guy hacks my website, you know, I'm going to be embarrassed a little bit, but it's not material to my organization. However, if a different bad guy comes in and steals my intellectual property, you know, uh, I might get fired, all right? So uh, it has to be material to the business. Hmm. And thirdly, okay, it should say, instead of saying that sometime in the future, it's got to be some time-bound thing like I talked about before. All right, so... You might be saying, geez, Rick, okay, uh, how do you get all those numbers? If it's going to be mathematically precise, where am I going to get all this math? You, aren't you just making it up anyway? Well, it turns out there are some mathematical tricks you can do to give yourself some more precision. Now, you've heard of things like uh, Bayes' algorithm yep. and Monte Carlo simulations. Sure. Yes, okay. Now, these sound really scary. They're not that hard. Okay, they really aren't. Even I can figure it out. You can do most of this in a spreadsheet, right? And so I'm saying that we should change our minds about how we are assessing risk and give it some more precision going forward. Now, I did all this. Uh, I got all this together. Uh, me and the co-author of How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity, Mr. Syerson, wrote a white paper and presented this at at the RSA conference uh, a few months ago. So if anybody's interested in all that, I can give you a lot more detail. Just hit me up and um, I will pass it along to you. All right. That's certainly stuff to think about. As always, Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.